You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. This next interview is brought to you by Ground Up, Building Big Ideas Together, a new exhibition for babies to five-year-olds at ScienceWorks Melbourne. We've all heard about the importance of STEM subjects, that is science, technology, engineering and maths. They are, apparently, the future of our children's education. But just how early can you start the process? According to Jonathan Shearer, a STEM educator for Museums Victoria, you can incorporate these subjects into play for very young children. He spoke with Kindling producer Sally Knight. My name is Jonathan Shearer. I'm the STEM programs coordinator here at ScienceWorks, which means I develop the education programs for kindergartens and schools who visit, and I manage our teacher training programs. So how, how do you get kids, young children in particular, say naught to six or babies to six-year-olds, to get interested in STEM? So science, technology, engineering, mathematics. How do you do it? Um, the, the first key is actually engagement, obviously, and we don't have to work very hard these days. Uh, we can create a space full of really appropriate activities where the engagement will come naturally. And I think the mistake a lot of people make with uh, young kids and science and technology subjects is they focus on what content are we trying to teach, and that's not really what we need to do. So we really focus on that inquiry process, and so it's around exploring materials uh, observing things about them, testing things about them, testing again until you get a, uh, you know, an outcome you're satisfied with. And really, as educators here at ScienceWorks, we just see ourselves as facilitators of that process. I love it. Kids are naturally curious and they're natural problem solvers, aren't they? So they'll kind of just figure it out themselves. Exactly. Once we get them engaged, it's then harder to actually get them to stop than to get them to keep going. So uh, that, that's more our challenge, I think. And so I, there's been a lot in the media lately about STEM subjects becoming less popular with young people in, for example, their electives in year 11 and 12 and then going on to tertiary study and particularly for girls, um, not really going into that industry um, as much. You're talking about engaging children in STEM so where do you think it's dropping off and where's the problem beginning? Um, traditionally, we've seen fairly good engagement with STEM subjects in primary school. Uh, and then we tend to see the drop off as they're entering high school. And traditionally, it's because it becomes much more theoretical, much more abstract, much more book, book work. And so one of the things about STEM is it really focuses on the application, the real-world application. You start with the goal that you're going for. It could be to design a way to clean up the local creek or a way to harness solar power to charge your phone. And as long as they're engaged in the outcome, what they want to do, they'll identify and then teach themselves the skills they need to get to their endpoint. And that's the, that's the way we need to approach it. It used to be um, just in case learning. So learn this because trust me, one day when you grow up, it'll benefit you. And now it's just in time learning of I'm going to teach this to you because otherwise you're not going to be able to do the thing you're passionate about. Just jumping back to young children. So the, you know, before they're hitting school, while they're still perhaps at home or in, in childcare, 
how do you how do parents at home sort of stimulate that curiosity and particularly if their you know their child is at that point where they're asking lots of why questions and the parent can't answer those questions um so so how do you keep that curiosity and that problem solving nature going yeah that's definitely something i get asked a lot especially in our early years programs and what i found is once i've modeled to parents what science looks like for uh you know young kids they totally get it instantly and roll with it so I think a lot of the fear is, am I going to do it wrong? And really, all you're doing is encouraging that exploration. So, you know, if you see your child playing with a big block of ice, you can start asking questions around what they notice. And they might point out little bubbles inside. And you might ask questions like, how do you think the bubbles got inside? Um, Do you think they're bubbles of air or bubbles of water? And if they give an opinion, you say, how could we find out? And then start rummaging around the house, looking for things that you can chip away at the ice with or melt it with a bit of water. And you don't have to have the answers. You have to help them explore. And I think that's a weight off a lot of parents' minds when they, when they make that realisation. So if you're asked a why question you don't know the answer to, the correct answer is, I don't know, do you think we should find out? And you can start testing things, exploring things, using whatever you find around the house to try and find the answer yourself. Going back to parents at home, um, you have craft kits, perhaps with you know pipe cleaners and glitter or glue or whatever. If you were to talk to parents about perhaps having a science kit at home, what would you put in that science kit? And how, again, some extra tips on encouraging that curiosity and having those conversations. Well, let's, get, let's go to a STEM kit instead, because what I like to tell people is the most essential materials for doing STEM is cardboard and sticky tape. Like if you don't have cardboard and sticky tape lying around, then there's so much engineering you can't do. So most of our STEM programs actually aren't high tech because the term technology can just mean any sort of machine. It can be a bridge, it could be a tower, it could be a house. Those count as technology as well if they're serving a purpose. Like if you ask somebody, um, how, how is your toy going to be able to see over the couch to see out the window? Let's build it something that it can sit on. That's STEM because you built a technological solution to a problem. So it's definitely having enough sort of crafty materials lying around, especially big sheets of cardboard. Um, There's actually a local company called MakeDo who make really simple connectors for putting cardboard together. So I don't mean to push a product, but they're really useful as well. And then again, if we're getting back to that, you know, I want to be able to explore things, then you just need general materials like a way to drip water onto something is really useful. There used to be this perception that you need a science kit that would have a magnifying glass and you know beakers and droppers and things like that. It doesn't necessarily have to be science materials, but think of the things you'll be doing with kids. It's really useful to be able to pour water on something to test a whole bunch of things. So have something that can easily pour water on things. It's really useful to be able to see small things. So a magnifying glass might be appropriate in your STEM kit. It's really around thinking through what are the ways we're going to explore. You know, old egg cartons are great ways to sort materials into different types. And that's an essential skill if you're learning science. How important is it to see, um, for, for young children to see perhaps different STEM professions like their parents or parents' friends or just people in the community and media to kind of join the dots and create some context around what they're learning. Yeah, the running joke uh, in education is 
uh, kids are only aware of six jobs. And so if you ask them what you want to be when they grow up, they'll say something like firefighter because they're not aware of any other jobs. And so that's where it's really important to just talk about, you know, when you're exploring with someone, say, oh, you know, this is what our friend Jenny does because she's a scientist and she sorts things out to different types or, you know... Your, your teacher would have done this when they were at university or really look at that skill set they're using and just keep pointing out how people are using that in their everyday life. And a nice representation of role models is essential as well so that we don't build up stereotypes because we know that that's one of the big barriers. Um, if, if people don't see themselves in an area or a profession, then they'll never pursue that area. And so if you don't show examples of people like them, they'll never see a place for them in that, in that field. You're talking about mainly girls? Uh, definitely. It's a huge <laughs> issue in STEM of getting girls in. Uh, the two sort of big issues for getting girls into STEM are um, often, you know, we show off male role models for these STEM areas, but also um, girl, everyone thrives on creative expression. But girls, it's, it seems, will not actively pursue an area that doesn't allow for creative expression. And even though there's huge opportunity for that in STEM, it's not traditionally the area of STEM that's been showcased. And so when creating an experience that's inclusive of all genders, uh, allowing some form of creative expression in there is really important. Um, they need to be able to see themselves in the work they're doing. And how does, how does STEM embrace creativity? Uh, that's a beautiful question. Um, I think one of the things that you can really do is if you look at sort of things that are the pinnacle of the STEM world, like the Maker Fair that they have in New York every year, uh, and you look at what they've created, nobody creates a purely functional device. Everyone creates a beautiful device. Uh, and this is our natural inclination. Once something works, we also want it to be beautiful. And so if you look at design especially, um, so when people design things, there's just as much effort put into the aesthetic as there is into the function. And that's what STEM's all about, those design skills of you're designing for real life. People will want a thing that's elegant and beautiful to use and functions well. And so the creativity in STEM is twofold. One, there's artistic creativity, but the creative problem solving is really important as well. So there's no one way to solve a problem and good STEM leaves it open enough that you can create 30 different solutions to the same problem and that's building creativity in an entirely different way. And what about, um, I guess, just take me through those basic skills that young children are, are, are using when they're engaged in STEM activities? Uh, you can break it down into sort of three categories. One is what we, we commonly call literacies in education. So things like computational thinking, which will eventually lead to being able to program computers. But at the early years, they don't need to be able to do that. That really means things like being able to recognize patterns, recreate patterns, being able to describe the instructions needed to do something in a way that somebody else would be able to follow them. That's the kinds of things that will lead somebody to be a really good computer programmer later in life without needing to use a computer at that stage. So that's an example of a literacy they need. Then there are uh, a skill set they need. So they need to be able to collaborate. They need to be able to communicate. They need to be able to think critically and creatively. So there's a bunch of skills they'll need as well. Um, sometimes you hear them called the 21st century skills because we didn't really focus on them in the 20th and before, but now we're really focusing on those skills. And then the third set is there's a whole bunch 
bunch of character qualities they're going to need. They're going to need persistence. Uh, they're going to need to be able to deal with failure. They're going to need to be able to show leadership. They're going to need to be able to be diplomatic when working with their peers. And so we sort of break it down into those three areas. And that really makes sense for the under six-year-olds because these are life skills we're building for them anyway. And STEM is just the end point of learning those skills. So people who have really learned all those skills without even using sort of digital technology or advanced scientific equipment will be good STEM professionals later in life. Finally, do you have any tips for parents who want to embrace STEM at home or in their early childcare settings? What, what do you say to parents to, to encourage them? Firstly, it's going to be messy. Um, it's always chaotic. Like engineering is the heart of STEM in terms of what you're actually doing. And the heart of engineering is to build something that you think is going to do the job, test it, it's not going to work. So you're going to have to take the bits that work and then modify the bits that don't and keep working on that process until it does work. And so it's going to be messy. It's a fine line between challenging and frustrating. Um, and sort of our role is to create this space where that's encouraged, where you're not going to get it right the first time, that we keep working through our problems um, and that we keep encouraging without doing for our kids, that we're, we're the sort of partner in their investigations. And as long as we keep space and time open for that exploration, then we're going to end up with kids who are really great at STEM later in life. That's Jonathan Shearer, STEM educator for Museums Victoria, and that interview was produced by Sally Knight. You're listening to Kindly Conversation. This segment was brought to you by Ground Up, Building Big Ideas Together, a new exhibition for babies to five-year-olds at ScienceWorks Melbourne. Hi, we're the Beanies. Get your child off screens and into their imagination as we explore how bubbles are made. What's in a sneeze? Achoo! And what's with the weather today? Professor Know-It-All knows. Hello, Beanies. Hello. The The Beanies. A podcast just for kids. Subscribe now on iTunes or listen anytime on the Kindling app.